Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Tennessee Power Hour is here. Alongside Chad Withrow and Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. David Reed, the chairman of the board. Lance Lee, Jakob Swanson, making the show happen for us. Glad you're with us. And you can interact with us on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube. Just search out Outkick 360. Busy weekend for the Nashville Predators. Uh, we're going to get into uh, the Vanderbilt Commodore football team as well. Uh, Chad. Uh, I noticed we're Florida and UCF putting together a, a game that, uh, you know, just so happens it, it takes place right as uh, some leadership at UCF goes to Knoxville. Timing is the essence of life, Hutton. And <laughs> just a couple months after Danny White leaves UCF, after complaining about Florida ducking them and not wanting to ever come to UCF, they always wanted them just to go to Florida. Guess what Florida and UCF did? They came to an agreement on a two-for-one. Uh, two in Gainesville, one in Orlando between UCF and Florida in football. This goes to um, a level of disdain probably <laughs> from Florida towards Danny White that they just weren't ever going to do it with him because he complained openly about it. And ADs do not like it when that happens. They like for things to stay tight in-house uh, when there's a disagreement on a game being played. And once his successor came in and took over, they decide they're going to play the game. I think it's great. I think games like this between the big boy in the big conference versus the upstart that can give them a game and win a game, and when you can go to that upstart and play a game, I think it's great for everyone it's involved. It's great for UCF. The question is, does this indicate that Florida doesn't suspect UCF is going to be able to sustain what it was under White? So while, while it seems like, hey, good, Danny White's gone, now we'll do it, it's also saying, hey, Danny White was pretty damn good, and we don't think they're going to be pretty damn good <laughs> under the next guy, so we'll now take three pushover games as opposed to what they would have been under Danny White's leadership. I think that dynamic is uh, interesting because his brother's the head basketball coach at Florida, yeah. and he had all the bad things to say about Florida when he was at UCF while his brother was the head basketball coach. I said this Family when John Fulkerson's season ended on the elbow in the SEC tournament here in Nashville. Now you've got Danny White in a position to possibly publicly call out the Florida team in the SEC for not doing more to a Florida player, and that affects his brother. <laughs> That's, I think it's his older brother. I think, I think Danny's a little bit younger too, but <clears throat> either way, Florida, UCF, games like that, good for college football. A far better game, too, than whatever they would schedule out of conference, you would hope. Well, uh, also, let's, let's go a layer or two deeper with the scheduling. This is setting up for the expansion of the college football playoff. They're anticipating what it's going to take to be one of the 12 or 14 teams to get in. Both, both programs are. It makes a ton of sense for UCF. And now Florida, they can lose to Georgia and... Uh, who knows, South Carolina or Alabama, and pick up a nice win against an in-state opponent who's better than Florida State. Yeah, and who's going to be in the mix. And get into the college football <clears throat> playoff now um, because there's, there's more openings for a team with multiple losses. 
Yes, maybe for Florida in certain years, depending on who they lose to in conference. But Florida doesn't need that to be one of the 12 with their SEC schedule. They could play four cupcakes, Florida State excluded, and uh, probably be fine if they lose a couple games and that's it in the SEC most years to be one of the 12. But you're right, Hutton, in that it's a great move for the UCFs of the world because even if you lose to Florida at Florida and you run the table in your conference, that's a good chip to play with the committee. Hey, Florida's the number four seed. We lost by a touchdown in Gainesville in a good competitive game. We need to be one of the 12. Or maybe we slipped up and lost one conference game and we need to be one of the 12 because we played Florida close. And it's certainly if you win, that's going to be huge for UCF. So hopefully we see more of these. Right? I mean, we see, you know the UCF, Cincinnati, BYU, Boise States of the world are going to be wanting to schedule these games. The question now becomes, will there be more Floridas out there willing to play this game and do something like this? I'm eager to see how Tennessee schedules with Danny White because he wanted to be aggressive at UCF. Now, how does he set that up for Tennessee for football specifically? After we were off air on Friday, it was announced, um, or maybe this was, uh, may have been on Thursday. Thursday. Tennessee and Syracuse mm-hmm. is a future game, 2025, in Atlanta at the Chick-fil-A. We know the last Plaza. time they play. That is maybe the worst uniform combo game <laughs> I can imagine. And that goes, I like Tennessee's orange up against certain teams. Tennessee orange versus Kentucky blue and white looks good. I think the Vandy black and gold and Tennessee orange looks good head-to-head at times. You put two shades of orange on the same field or court together, it's awful. When Tennessee and Texas play those basketball games, awful visually. Syracuse, Tennessee in 98, and again in 2000 or 2001, 2001. they met. Bad uniform matchup. What do you say about Florida? Not enough orange Well, one of them? The the helmet color with Tennessee is bad, but the blue is okay. Like if they're wearing the blue uniform at home and Tennessee's an all-white, that's fine, but head-to-head with the Tennessee T and the Florida orange helmet is not good. A lot of people, uh, just what I noticed on Twitter over the weekend when Ryan Ellis was traded, uh, made the point that it's about Glass and Myers, the the two players that they're receiving in this three-team trade. When we come back, we'll we'll take you and, and, and analyze the trade from different shelves. Because, yeah, who they're getting in return matters. But who they're getting in return isn't necessarily finalized. I'll explain next on OutKick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. The Nashville Predators making a lot of roster moves this offseason. We know Pecorine retired. They traded Victor Arvidsson. Uh, and now they've traded Ryan Ellis, which was a part of the offseason plan that we put out last week, that I detailed last week, that I have detailed for the last couple of seasons, Two years, honestly. at least. It makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm seeing a lot of the Predators are tearing down and rebuilding. And I would argue this is a part of a, a, a bigger plan that can set them up for success because they are going to be set up in a different manner than what we've seen in recent years, which we know is not good enough. And they're finally admitting that. Here is why the, the Ryan Ellis trade makes a ton of sense. And it's, it's just four quick points. First, his contract is gone. When you look at this trade, you view it through the 2021-22 season, his contract is off the books. It opens up money that they can still spend right now on someone else. It's not just about the physical pieces 
that they received. It's all about the $6 million that they're going to save, which leads us to a couple of other points here. We, we can't evaluate this trade until we see how they spend the money that's saved on Ryan Ellis. And between COVID and the shortened season and the fact that teams didn't have 17,000 fans in attendance, the fact that they had someone, a team, pick up Ryan Ellis's $6 million to me is a credit to David Poyle too, because was he viewed as a top pair defenseman? I, I know Poyle said publicly he is and will continue to be a very good player. And it's hard to replace a defenseman that played as many minutes as Ryan Ellis. But also, let's read between the lines with what they did in the postseason. Perrier was paired with Ryan Yo with uh, Roman Yossi, not Ryan Ellis paired with Yossi. They split them up, and it was Perrier pl playing the most important minutes. I took that as a signal to what Ryan Ellis is right now, and they are also looking at the injury concerns and the age factoring into the money that he is owed. He is small in stature. He, has, he, he makes his, his money by grit and determination and effort, which is great. That's why he's a fan favorite. I would also say that's why he's hurt all the time. And he's always banged up. And if and when he gets hurt and misses half the season again, what's his trade value if the Preds decided to keep him as opposed to trading him right now and trying to trade him mid-season when I think his value would again continue to decline. I wanted to trade him two years ago because I thought his value was extremely high at the time for what you could get in return than what they're getting right now. And number four, he, he's now paid over market value. You cannot win at a high level by paying players substantially more than their actual value for that particular year. And, and it's just not a smart business decision. He's now over 30. And I, I mentioned last week, I would bank on Eckholm going into his 30s more than Ryan Ellis because of the injury hit issues that he's already gone through versus what we've seen from Ekholm. You cannot get hung up on the return of this trade. A lot of people that do nothing but repeat whatever the Nashville Predators tell them to repeat are going to tell you that this is all about Cody Glass and Phil Myers and getting younger, and it can be. They are talented prospects and talented players who are young compared to what they're doing roster-wise right now for the Preds, but this is about opening up the books for the six million that they're off now off the books that they can add to the pie instead of just relying on the two players that they're getting in return. Good points, absolutely. I mean, even after this trade, um, and obviously they're getting a defenseman back who goes back on the books. I think they're the only team in the league that protects five defensemen here in the expansion draft for the Kraken, which is coming up. So you've got Carrier, Ekholm, Fabro, Yossi, and Myers. Um, Fabro's the guy that's a question to me because he's been good, but come the playoffs, yeah. we didn't see him. Um, yep. And that's a concern to me. I wonder, if he's the good young rising player that he should be, then you're, that, there's a solid group we're talking about. But you look at the other side of this, it's unfortunate when you're not a team that has more than three offensive forwards that you want to protect. And then one of these forwards is Jano, who surprises everybody, right? And you're trying to get a deal struck where they're going to take Duchesne or Johansson, preserving for you Yarn Croak or Sissons, guys that you want on the team. You know, uh, Adam Vingan on The Athletic has them taking Yarn Croak. So Almost I think everyone does. The next step right I now is crossing trading. your fingers that you get a trade done where they're taking uh, Duchesne. 
I have and people traded. are saying Duchesne or Johansson. I, I think it's got to be Duchesne. <laughs> well, it opens. Both are making the same amount of money. But so in terms it, of what you want on your team. Yeah, you want Duchesne off the, the team. I would, uh, I would prefer Johansson, but I think competitive stay. rebuild. That's the, that's the term that, that David Poyle threw out there. Um, I'd prefer both of them gone if this is, in, in fact, a competitive rebuild. And I think you lay out some great points. I'll just say that when you say competitive rebuild, you're painting yourself into a bit of a corner because there's still one key word in there, rebuild. It's tough to sell the fan base on, no, we're doing these moves to get better now because they're not. It, that's what it looks like to me. If, if they were, you would say, just wait. The money freed up right now. We're going to go to work with this. And there are things you could do, Hutton, that you laid out, that contract or contracts being cleared mm -hmm. out. You can make your team better next year. You could also say, and I know that David Poyle mentioned, we got better when our young guys started playing last year. You could just say, we're better with these guys. They don't have the careers that Johansson's had at this point and Duchesne overall, but the makeup of our team and the system we're playing, we are going to be better giving these young guys a shot and then going heavy in the free agent market and adding something else. You're right, Hutton. It's, it's impossible to look at the return and just say, that's it, right? I mean, I'm looking at the athletic, C minus, B minus, and the Flyers are getting an A for bringing in Ryan Ellis. Well, it's two different needs. What you need, yes. What you're doing, what you but also the point is well made, Hutton, that it's not just this return, it's what you're going to do with the money that's left over. Also, going to who they've protected, um, I think you have to factor in the knowledge that David Poyle has for these expansion drafts now. Had he not gone through the Vegas expansion draft and, and seen how the Vegas approached that draft, both with his team and other teams, does it give him the right elixir to protect certain players now compared to what he did then? And, and, and has it changed his mindset on how to go about that? And, and yes, Janot surprised me that he was protected. But to me, that, that's almost signaling that he's going to, it's already determined in his mind who's going to be selected by the Seattle Kraken because he's going to cut a deal with them to select Matt Duchesne. I, that, and, and, and maybe he felt as though Janot was a prospect, a young player that Seattle would have wanted. And so by protecting him, you take him off and you make the trade more likely. Force the trade. I'm not saying that's what's the mindset there. Possible. But why else would you protect a player that everyone is surprised by? To, to me, there's a, there's a flag there that says read deeper into the reasons. Um, and this is still about dumping Matt Duchesne. Uh, and in a sense, the protection list to me is irrelevant because the goal is to move him off the books and out of that locker room. He has not been a fit. Uh, he is... He's not been the player that they have paid him to be. And, and that's why they are hoping to cut a deal with Seattle uh, to where they, they are told exactly who they're going to pick before the, the expansion draft gets underway on Wednesday. I um, hope you're right. But uh, I, and I don't know what the timetable is in terms of being able to uh, deal or in terms of being able to say you've got a deal. 
I just kind of wish by now it was out there that this is in place or going to happen or that we've well, heard the next couple days. something <laughs> I mean, that, you know, that made you it's gonna happen quickly. more confident. I know the timetable for it happening, but I'd like to have birdies to be out there saying something more solid than what we've heard. To also, Ch uh, uh, Chad, uh, from a competitive nature, I, uh, how competitive was this team last year? Like not enough. They needed to change it up. A competitive rebuild for this team is not a bad thing. Uh, it, no, it, Ellis was good. I mean, he he told you exactly what it was on his mind post game, but I, I think the the leadership and turnover for that locker room can be a good thing. A reworked voice in the locker room yeah, is fans, a good thing. Fans get too married to to guys. They, they, this locker room needs a little churn. They need it, and they need it for the future. I still think though that when you you got to very, be very careful with your words on this. When you say competitive rebuild, rebuild is still in there. This is not a statement of we're going to be better this year. He also said in there, I mean, we want to still want to be in the playoffs. You know, we're not going to completely bottom out like some teams do in a rebuild. Well, Hutton, you asked the question, just how competitive were they a year ago? Then that would make me ask the question, well, how competitive do they plan on being this year? Well, It sounds like a lot, a lot more of the same. Like maybe we'll make better. the bottom of the – of the playoffs, and we'll get out in the first round again. I think, but, but long term, we're going to be better for this. And I believe that part of the belief system in David Poyle that he's doing this for the long term health of the franchise and making another run at a Stanley Cup at some point. But I also am not seeing this right now as this is a team trying to get better right now. But it's a team trying to get better for the long haul. But it, they are getting better right now because they're actually planning on making some moves with veterans that have some value right now. That, that's why I was wanting to trade Ellis two years ago, because I thought he was at peak value for what you could get in return, and you could move forward with that, even though it would signal you dumping a, a, a fan favorite and a really good player. Um, this is also David Poyle admitting this team that he assembled was not going to win the Stanley Cup in 2021-22. So you might as well make some moves and switch things up. And it's difficult to doubt David Poyle's track record in his time in the league of knowing what his plan is and what he wants to do ultimately. So I'm not going to sit and question that part of it. I will question this, though. I wonder if he's giving too much credence to John Hines in the overall plan with his team. And I say that based on Victor Arvidsson, who I've never heard a bad word about in that locker room, saying things that he's gone now about them not knowing how to utilize him and, and them not understanding how he is as a player. So I do think if you – it can poison the well a bit if a new guy comes in who's committed to one way of playing and that one way and that's it, and you've got good players that could still help your team that are out because they couldn't quite do exactly what the coach was doing, which leads me to ask the question, are you giving too much power and credence to your current head coach who may not be here in a year when you're – I mean, to me, the coach is almost interchangeable in that you bring in great players that can play for any coach – and let the chips fall where they may, don't bring in players or get rid of players just because they didn't jive well with the current coach. I, I think those are fair. Who was a failure in New Jersey. I, I think that's fair, yeah. but I'd also say, if you want to be on all these units, Arvidsson, how about you, uh, you're healthy enough. Like, you only played 50 games. I think you're scared of putting them on the ice for extra time because you're scared of them getting hurt again. Well, and I think that's the case with, with Ellis playing 35 just, games last year. They just play a different style than what Arvidsson's style was with LaViolette. That's what Arvidsson is saying. That the, It's like going from Les Steckel to Mike Heimerdinger. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a different offensive style, 
and Arvidsson was used to more of his capabilities with Peter Laviolette than John Hines. But I'll say this in terms of what you're talking about with the competitive rebuild, Chad. Are they that far away from what they were last year when Ellis only played 35 games? Right. And Arvidsson only played 50 games. So the two big, and Pekka wasn't that big of a factor. So the three big guys that are gone. And Duchesne's making excuses. Were not that big of factors last well, year. I'm so I'm with you. I'm a lot better about it when Duchesne's gone. Right, right, right. But I'm with you. If you take these guys out and you put in the youth that you're talking about and you've added some more youth so, now in the Ellis trade, I, I don't, it's not that different than the team that you had, but you're giving the young guys who were the boost the opportunity. So I don't know why you're not saying hey, this might not look better, but it actually might That's be better. That's what he's better. saying, though. It's, That's it's, what Chad is nope. saying. That's he's not being, what Poyle's saying. To me, right. he's being overly deferential yes. and complimentary to the guys they've Who gotten left. rid of. And you should be complimenting the guys because he doesn't, you're giving David the opportunity Because David Poyle is that type of guy. He's never going to bury someone. Don't say And he's going to go over the top talking about their contributions, Don't the team, say and everything anything. else. Say, this is our direction now. But we appreciate me, what they did for us, but this is our direction now. We feel very upbeat about it. It's almost like... He thinks he's insulting them if he said, we just got better. Yeah, don't do the rebound When word. you dump them. We're going to be better now because of these moves. I, I think there's the a rebound balance word. between that and saying competitive rebuild. And the rebuild word doesn't help at the ticket office. No, not well, at all. So they, they have Glass and, and Myers, Phil Myers. They, they are also going to have David Ference, who we saw just a glimpse of. Six feet, 190 pounds. We saw him at the end. Uh has some scoring ability, good puck carrier, uh, great at, at transitioning with the puck up the ice, solid skating ability, young player. He was the, the Hobie Baker finalist last year. He's 22 years old. He had 59 points in 45 college games, and he could be in the top six on opening night for this Preds team. There, there's another youth and a young player that now has a spot, and again, you don't have your top three defensemen over the age of 30. Uh, that's, that's a huge plus for this roster that was aging and aging quickly for the production they're getting in return. I don't feel that badly about them right now. I, I don't feel well, well, th that's because they're about them. The, the players that they've lost were not producing for them recently, yeah. right? We're, we're, we're viewing these players in the lenses, we're through, the, through the individual lenses of what they were at their top. Yeah, at their best. Which Pekka, is what everyone's, everyone's listing Pekka Rene as a, loss. as a loss. He's not a loss. He's not playing. He's not the well, starter. I, also, this is where I think this is a huge positive for this franchise. You're stopping the romanticizing of the Stanley Cup run. I think these moves are officially ending a, a lot point. of that. Yeah. They have moved on moving from on. the core of that team, and I think that's a good thing because You're no longer running you can it back. risk. Yeah. And I think from an in-game operation thing, they do this too much. They're playing the same songs from that run. It's... You know, we're running it back. We're going to do everything. They need to freshen up their mentality a bit because that group, after that run, which was terrific and united the city and turned yeah. this city for those months into a hockey city, they have failed since then. I do think And that David Poyle has failed since then by holding on to guys for too long, by making some poor adjustments and signings, Matt Duchesne. So I do think that there is some positivity with moving past that and let's get the next era of Preds heroes well, for this organization. That's why last week I compared this offseason to the 2012. Which is when they Be turned it last. Because they had to make moves. They, they had to. And, and that's what turned into the run that it became. This was an offseason. They, they had to change it up. What they had was not going to get it done based on the expectations that they want to throw out there that I agree they should have.
that the fans should have. But you have to make some tough decisions on some fan favorites and players that have been really good for the organization that helped you get to this level and have these expectations. They're making the right decisions. I, I, Chad, you're right on the phrasing of the word rebuild, competitive rebuild. Um, I, I get where you can read into that word way too much. But I think overall in the coverage of this trade, it has been about tear down and rebuild. And I don't think that's the ultimate goal here. I think the, the goal is to get younger, but stay at the, the at least the same level, if not improve on the money that you're going to be able to spend by saving it on players that we're not producing at the level that they're getting paid. This romantiz- romanticization of guys at the end is not just a Preds thing in this town. I would still argue Nashville as a relatively young major league sports town, as somebody who's bounced around the country a little bit at the beginning of my career, um, who grew up in the New York area, I think we tend to do it more here uh, still. And we see guys for what they were at their prime, which you guys just very nicely articulate. We see guys for what they were at their prime instead of for what they are at the time where their end comes. You, you would think right now that Delaney Walker being available is Delaney Walker being available when he came here from San Francisco. <laughs> not Delaney Walker being available two years or three years after the Titans were done with him after his ankle injury and all of that. And that's not to say that you know, have your fondness for Delaney Walker. Absolutely. He was terrific here. But know also where he is on his, his timeline. Um, and this city just has trouble letting go of guys generally, which is fine. Um, but you also have to contextualize. What, what is Ryan Ellis right now? for this team in the context of its locker room and the people it puts on the ice. There's also a lot to be said for having done it, which a lot of these guys, they did it in that Stanley Cup run, and you can fall back on the blanket of security of, well, these guys have done it before, they can do it again. But there's also a lot to be said about having not done it, and that's a double-edged sword. When you haven't done it, there's not a lot of boastfulness you can go into it with when you're a player and say, don't worry about it. We know what we're doing. We're going to get back and win a Stanley Cup. But I'll also say we saw it at the end of this last season. There's a lot of hunger that comes with not having done it. And the Preds are now transitioning to a team that hasn't done it. And I think what Poyle saw with the hunger with those guys, given a shot, he wants to see more of that. I think John Hines wants to see more of that. I think Preds fans should want to see more of that because I think starting with that series against Dallas – where that was the first time I thought, boy, the Preds just ran up a team they got completely outworked against in the playoffs. That was the turning point for me where the Preds went from plucky upstart, outworking everybody, to fat and happy. To losing to and the I plucky think, upstart. And I think from that moment on, it's been fat and happy mixed with softness from Matt Duchesne losing a series and blaming it on puck luck. And that's been the problem with the Preds. Also, I, I want to clarify, I, I'm not trying to say, and I haven't seen anybody say this, I'm, but... I'm not trying to say that Ryan Ellis sucks. No. What I am saying is he got voted off the island because of the finances, his age, and injury history, and projecting where he's headed versus what you can get in return for the money that you're going to save. And it's been that way for me the last two years. Uh, The value would have been even higher had they moved him in the off-season plan of 2019 instead of 2021. That's why I've been on this ship for a while uh, and why I think they're on the right course in, in, in changing things up uh, as they sit here today with the 
with the expansion draft coming up on Wednesday where they've got to get a deal done to get Duchesne out of this locker room. The, the mentality of Duchesne is crippling behind the scenes. It's poison. It's, it's bad. It's poison. And anytime you have someone He's like that that's a, that's a high-paid guy that you're relying on for so much production, it's poison for your locker room. This is not an end-of-the-bench guy, you right, that's new. Like this is, That's a problem when he's one of the guys who should be one of your leaders. You can't put not. him in a bubble. You can't put him in a cone of silence. Even if you could, you wouldn't want to, but that's what he needs if he's here, and that's not going to happen. Uh, right now, the, the Vanderbilt roster is silent because there's no names or, or numbers to, to jerseys right now for, for Vanderbilt football players headed into camp. Asinine. Uh, Clark Lee will speak on this this week at SEC Media Days. I believe they're up Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, we'll speak on it next on the Tennessee Power Hour, Outkick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. So, Clark Lee has removed jersey numbers from the roster. Uh, the updated football team's official roster this week uh, lists names but no numbers uh, to correlate where they're going to be uh, on your roster numerically uh, as camp opens across the SEC. Uh, Lee's quote, um, we are going to earn everything in this program until we understand that we rent those numbers. We don't own them until we're ready to work within them. Leave them better for the next person to wear them. That will come. I don't want to put a timeline on it as to when he's going to assign numbers. I like earn everything, but you, you can't do it with numbers. Numbers aren't a thing that you earn any more than you earn your, your last name. Numbers are there to identify people. <laughs> and people must be identified. Listen, this isn't only a strain on, on media, and I'm not just complaining for it from, from a media perspective. How are his coaches going to know who's who? This puts a strain on your own staff and on you. And I understand you know the roster so well that you can tell this is Fred because Fred walks like that. And this is Bob because Bob, you know, tilts his head that way. Trust me, it's an extra strain on your people who have a lot more important things to strain about at Vanderbilt University regarding football. I like Clark Lee a great deal. This is dumb and it's overdoing it. Tell the players they rent the numbers and you'll be willing to take it off of them if they're not getting it done. But this starting where you've got to earn the simple idea of being identified, let's call them by their initials to start. Let's give them no names. You and you and you go over here and work with the linebackers. And I'll call you by your name after I feel you've earned it. That's the direction this heads. It's stupid. Chad, chances are Kenny Seals is going to earn his number. Yeah, Ken Seals will probably be okay. They probably know <laughs> what Ken Seals looks like when he's throwing the football. Yeah. But, I mean, for the freshman, for the walk-on guy, for the transfer coming in, for a new coaching staff to get to, get to know players, I just don't know why you create obstacles at a place ripe with obstacles. <laughs> Vandy is ripe with obstacles in the SEC. It's going to be a very difficult first year for Clark Lee, and you are – being cute for cute's sake, I know that you have a reason for this, and I too like Clark Lee a lot, but I feel like you're just creating another level of difficulty for your players and your coaches. Players get to know other guys they by their numbers too. They don't even know who too. they are, yeah. I don't know all my teammates. 
You're all out there in matching uniforms, no number. I'm, in, I'm imagining a coach saying, hey, tall guy, come here. Hey, medium-sized guy, you come over here. What's your name again? Who are you? This is going to happen. It's impossible to know everyone by the way they're moving throughout. And maybe this is like a team-building exercise for the coaches to get to know guys and not have a crutch of a number. I just don't think the reward of doing this does not equal the problems it causes. I would get if it was this big cultural milestone and win for your program that you have to do this to implement the program that you want. I just don't think there's any planet or universe where you would have to do that to implement your culture. I think this is him starting from scratch on the culture. Uh, he is trying to hit the reset button on whatever he inherited. And it's not just with the transfers and the freshmen coming in. It's the entire roster that he's doing this with. Uh, and it's just to send a message, uh, set the tone for whatever happened in the past is not going to work for what I'm trying to build. Well, no uniforms then. Well, it, it, maybe that's the case. Put on green uniforms. You know, everyone wears red no, and no green uniform. instead of black and just gold. Just pads. Um, maybe no pads. Yeah, but <laughs> Earn the pads. Ultimately, though, I mean, it, it's, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, th this is going to be a reward for the team after a week's worth of good practice. It'll be a morale boost going to the weekend for their first scrimmage. Everybody's going to have their number. Uh, and Paul can think it's, you know, whatever it is. Uh, and, and it is cheesy. But it's also a message that he's sending to a locker room that has lost, that's used to losing, and that thinks it's just acceptable to go about things the way they've been going about them. And he is there to switch it up, to mix and match the mentality of that locker room, and I would say, if he's on with us, he's probably thinking it's not a bad thing that guys are showing up not knowing who's who on the practice field. Get to know your teammates by how they practice and how they carry themselves instead of knowing that number six is the starting quarterback, number eight is the starting quarterback. Uh, that's the message he's sending is you can go out and earn it, and you're no different than the person next to you that's in that line. Um, I think it also speaks to the – <laughs> the, 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 the culture that he inherited, which was not good, uh, which was okay with just being okay. You know, six wins was fine. And Clark Lee's saying that's not good enough. I don't know. I mean, I've seen coaches repeatedly come into teams and change really bad cultures into much better cultures without this this measure. I mean, if it lasts. I mean, the Colts jokingly put out a video where they're going to have white numbers on white uniforms. That at least was fun. To mock the Texans yeah. for not having numbers. Um, and John McClain was just left to practice. <laughs> well, the, numbers the, the NFL also. equivalent of this is different because Patriots, the NFL yeah. and the, the players are going to have their numbers. Like in the NFL, we know what certain numbers players are going to. You, you know who's going to make the roster. Uh, rosters number one through 40. It's, it's, the, it's the next 13 that are really up for grabs going into training camp. Vanderbilt's a bit different when you roll out 90 players and Clark Lee is saying, hey, we're starting from scratch. And the freshmen that, that are coming in that I, I took on, the transfers that are coming here, they're battling for starting positions, not just because Derek Mason uh, gave you a starting job and that you are comfortable practicing at a certain level or giving a certain amount of effort on a you know Wednesday or Thursday of the practice week, Clark Lee's demanding more. That's and, fine, but and how that's that guy... totally fine based on where we sit right now at Vanderbilt football 
in uh, July 19th. I don't see how that guy wearing number 41 to the first practice in any way ensures him of a roster spot or a depth chart spot. It, it is. It well, is. this is what most coaches do when they don't have a depth chart. Like, everyone's getting equal reps early on. No one has a spot. Right. Ken Seals is you getting the that same amount of passes number. as the fourth-string quarterback that just came in, even though you know Seals is going to be the starter when the season gets here. I mean, that, that's how typically this is done to build a culture. Hutton, if it happens the way you said, and it's a week-long, oh, it's, you know, we're going to do this for a week, and then we're going to give them a big reward at the end of the week. I'm more okay with that because it doesn't go on too long. But – I do think it's just making things a, more difficult. Will they get a lolly when they get their number? I think I think you're going to make things more difficult. You know, Butch Jones did this stuff and, and eventually got crushed for it about earning the stripe on your helmet or the T on your helmet, you know, during practice when he came in. That was a big thing. You know, you'd get the stripe or whatever it was. I get that there are corny things that coaches do throughout, and I'm not going to crush Clark Lee for doing one of the thousands of corny things that new coaches do when they inherit a program. Um, and I think every program needs something different. And maybe this is what Vandy needs. But I do think there's other ways to prove your point of everything here will be earned. We are changing the way we think about everything without going too far into fall camp with no numbers. Again, if it's a week-long thing, maybe I come back well, a week now I mean, and say, It's not going to be longer than four weeks. Yeah, but I'm I mean, saying they, if they it's play the whole, September 4th, they'll be wearing numbers. Yeah, if it's the whole camp, though, you're going to go through this, it's just very, very odd. And I think creates an unneeded obstacle with your team. And I don't know. I mean, look, something that struck me about we had a chance to watch Clark Lee in a speaking engagement. And he brought up, I thought, a great illustration. He said, I would go in and address my team during meals at lunch. And I had to retrain them how we address people, how you turn and face someone if I'm talking to you. Or if a teammate's right. talking to you, just the simplest things. And that's a society that they've problem. completely lost, though, as a program. Well, that, he's that, saying that's not a that he's not going to accept. Uh, he's saying that didn't happen at, at Notre Dame. He's saying that, that is a Vanderbilt football program. You think it's happening at Bama? <laughs> I mean, coaches that have their culture in place. I'm saying if an assistant coach addresses you, you're probably not going to keep eating and not ever look back at them and give them monosyllabic responses. But he was struck by you could tell it bothered him. But how guys would address, and he said, just how we address not only coaches, but each other has to be completely reworked at Vandy. Well, it's good he's doing that work. I, I think that Clark Lee is doing the Lord's work in terms <laughs> of how he's trying to change this program because it is a losing program with a losing mentality. And Derek Mason didn't always get dealt the best hand. And last year was a bleep show, start to finish, especially in the finish. And it was a circus. So this team needs to be retrained. My only point is, I think there's a lot of ways to retrain a team without taking the numbers away for your coaches and players and everything else. And it's not just a, you know, these guys really want a number, so I'm not going to give it to them right now. You can give them uh, crazy numbers. You know, uh, uh, Seals is going to start out 99 or whatever. Just give them whatever jersey they have if you want. Just some way to identify guys early on. Then you have a pecking order of who gets what number after that point. Fine with that. And, again, fine with this if it's, like Hutton, like you said, a week later, they're going to come back and say, all right, here's your jerseys. Well, it's going to take solid practice. I don't think he's just going to hand it over. Uh, but, the, I mean, it's a, four weeks from now we're going to wake up and this is going to be a non-issue because guys are going to have numbers. Well, it doesn't have to be an they're extended issue They're not going to show up September 4th foolish. without numbers on their uniform. No, of course not. Now, that would be a statement. We will forfeit this game. So I mean, well, the fact that it's not an issue in four weeks guys, doesn't mean it's smart right now. 
Well, he can make it as difficult as he wants right now. Of they're course not he can. playing on game day. So he I mean he can make it as difficult as he wants on his staff to determine what players in certain rep. I mean, that doesn't affect my enjoyment whatsoever. Uh, if he wants to send a message to his team by uh, keeping a number off their practice jersey, if they make the team and they're playing on the field on September 4th, the guy's going to wear a uniform number. Yeah, nobody said they weren't. But I don't know why we have to look at the camera and, and make a big deal about it on July 19th. I think it's dumb. And when I see something that's dumb, I say it's dumb. But, that's why. But it's not impacting anything they're going to do on Saturdays. From I mean, from a from a ease standpoint, I think it's over the top. I don't like control freak coaches. I like what Clark Lee has said so far, but this is over the top control freak well mechanism to me. I think interesting distinction here: two guys in this state taking over two programs that are have fallen on hard times. One is a lot closer to a pretty decent level of success in Tennessee two years ago, winning six straight games and seeing some of that as opposed to the other who has not seen any success recently in Vandy. Two very different approaches. Clark Lee comes in, culture change, you're not getting jersey numbers, I'm cracking the whip, we're changing the way we think as a team. Josh Heupel comes in and has ice cream parties and food trucks and laser tag. These are two guys seeing that their programs maybe need very different things. They both need to learn how to win and have a winning mentality. But I find the two approaches interesting to see how that works out. Right? Because you could argue both Tennessee and Vandy from a mentality standpoint probably have some similarities. Tennessee was more beaten to death with you are a professional under Jeremy Pruitt. I'm going to run things like I did at Alabama and like Saban does. And this is basically professional football. There's no fun to be had on practice day. We're going to go out there and work. And this is all work and it's not fun. So Josh Heupel's taking this let's have fun playing football approach. Clark Lee steps in and says, maybe the guys didn't care enough about it. Their mentality's way off. I'm going to crack the whip and do it a, a different we way. Need to I'm not saying either one's right or wrong. We don't know yet. But isn't it interesting that two teams that both did not have much success in the two different approaches of what the head coach thinks that they need? Yeah. Josh Heupel's like, let me give you a hug and an ice cream cone. And Clark Lee says, I'm taking your damn number from you. <laughs> we'll see which one works. I mean, I, I don't know what the answer is to that. I've, I've laughed at times at Heupel's approach, uh, well, thinking, both, you know, instead of playing dodgeball, maybe they should practice football. Well, they're both reacting to what preceded them also, which is always yeah. the case when, when you're the new guy, always the Yeah, case. when you walk in, something strikes you, yeah. right? Like, this, this place is too this loose, is this place you're is You're also not. listening to your leadership groups, yeah. right? Who knows? Maybe there's some bickering behind the scenes that Vanderbilt's more concerned about who's wearing what number than they are running a proper route. And he said, you know what, just strip them. No numbers. Screw you guys. You're arguing over with a freshman about you know a number. You're not. No one's going to earn it yet. I think that what we've seen from Clark Lee, and he's been on the show also. At least he's going to give us an honest answer about it when we ask him about it or anyone else. He, he strikes me as the guy who's at least going to give you a thoughtful answer to every decision. He and makes. he's he's coming from a uh, a point of view who played within the program. Yeah. Who knows what it felt like to wear the Vanderbilt uniform and what he wants to get back to from a mentality standpoint, but also what he hopes to achieve that he wasn't able to achieve as a player at Vanderbilt. Well, And he tells that story about how he couldn't even get into his own weight room because... Of another team. Some team was there for the Music City Bowl and was working out, and he got kicked out of his own weight room when he was at Vandy. He's talked about walking into Vanderbilt Stadium 
with 95% orange for his senior day and, and what that feels like, you know, to be a Vanderbilt player. And he's got to correct that. But it's, um, it's, it's going to be a longer road maybe than some other jobs out there with Vandy. I think we're comfortable in saying Oh, that. it's, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be quick. And that's, that's the, one of the questions we had for him. Are you, why'd you want this job? Right? Yeah. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't what convinced you or, you know, the, the extra money. It's, it's why did you, you waited on Vanderbilt? You know, you, you went after other gigs. Why is this one the right one? Toughest job in town. Yes, for sure. Uh, also tough, winning a parlay. But we're going to give you a winner right now. It's on Chad Withrow tonight. We're headed to Major League Baseball. It's Outkick 360's parlay through FanDuel.com. FanDuel.com slash OK360. Chad, we are betting on the Reds. Doing a bit of betting with my heart here because I'm a Braves fan. I want the Mets to lose. Okay. And they are playing the Reds tonight. I'm going Reds, Moneyline, Castellanos with a hit, Joey Votto with a hit, Jeff McNeil with a hit, and then uh, the pitcher tonight for the Reds, over four and a half strikeouts. We're going same game parlay. This has a very distinctive Jacob Swanson feel to it with this bet, and uh, I feel good about it. We're all trying to We're all going in positive with our bets. We're going in positive. Outkick 360's daily parlay. I made a bet just like this the other night uh, with... The, the Braves losing, and uh, I got everything right except the Braves losing. Oh, they came back and win. No, they won big. Oh, they won huge. That's uh, that's oh, also this was, unlikely. Uh, the nine to nothing on yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Yeah, they lost a tough one Friday night. They were up late and, and lost in extra innings. We are Reds fans tonight. Uh, enjoy the sports evening. We are back at it tomorrow. Uh, big topic based on an event that uh, Paul is headed to tomorrow night where Paul's given a second chance. Paul might be looking for somebody to give him a second chance with because Paul's date might not be up for it. Oh, okay. We, we, I can't wait to hear the details of this. That's, that's tomorrow plus uh, details on NIL. Uh, we've got a, a crazy story with a Jeep being stolen in Atlanta and, and much more. Outkick 360 tomorrow, noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central across the Outkick Network. Don't block the box. Do lock your locks. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.